Hello and welcome to That Business Podcast. My name is Caleb Tanner. I'm a financial consultant slash entrepreneur. And I'm here with my co-host. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) My my name is Corey Bortry. I'm a graphic designer and branding consultant. So in the last episode, we kind of talked about, well, the present. What we're currently doing to make money. Now in this episode, we're going to talk about our future. Or what we at least want our future to be. Absolutely. And first, I feel like we should uh, cover something that a lot of uh, kind of business channels go over, but I feel like we should address kind of the philosophy because I think we have the same philosophy when we come to this. Um, Most people have a paycheck. Yeah. And over their career, they grow that paycheck pretty big. Um, But the thing is, as that gets bigger, their house gets bigger, their debt gets bigger. And by, you know, come back and see them 20 years later, they're probably still living paycheck to paycheck. Now, maybe they got a couple kids and they're making ends meet, but that's all they will ever do. So I think what we have in common is me and you looked at our family members, looked at people, you know, looked at people, you know, beyond our family, look, you know, listened to different people and said, man, what are these guys doing differently? Why is yeah. this guy driving a Ferrari and why is this guy driving a old Geo Metro and they're the same age? You know, why is it that this guy sent his kids to school with no debt and this guy had to send his school kids to school with debt? And, you know, most of that, I think, comes down to um, I, I, I always listen to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So he always just called it cash flow and like what quadrant and all that. But yeah. The point remains, basically, uh, how he defined wealth was how long can you go once you stop working? And unfortunately, you can't just save up a nest egg big enough using only your paycheck. And also, I talked about this on my latest um, blog post on my new finance blog. But I basically said there is, you know, most people, they make a certain amount of money and they have a certain amount of money they have to spend every month. And the goal is to increase the gap between those two numbers. Most people look at that as they have to increase the amount they're getting paid, but there's actually two ways. The other way is to decrease the amount they're spending, accomplish the same thing by increasing the amount of money you get to keep at the end. Which is why even though you know I'm making more money than I ever have been before, I haven't really increased my spending besides you know rent. Like, I haven't really increased spending because if you can cut down the amount you need to spend every month, even without raising your money, you're still able to save more. Right. And that's the thing is um, saving is good. Um, always. Saving is the, is the best. Now, our money is designed in such a way that you don't really want to save up just a big nest egg of U.S. dollars because yeah. every day it loses value. But – you know, honestly, there's places that you can put it that are safer. You know, at least put it in a savings account because that's a little higher interest than a regular banking account. But there's other things you can do as well. Um, in general, there's a lot. There are many resources that gets outside of what we're discussing today. But, um, you know, go look up and figure out, you know, what percentage, where you want to put it. I definitely suggest that everybody gets a uh, emergency fund of at least two months expenses, whatever those are. You can basically get into a death spiral should something go wrong, should you lose your job and there not be a safety net. I say right now I have it set up where if I got fired right now and was not able to make any money, I'd still make all of my payments without a problem. 
at least for a while. Like, that was my thing. Like, I basically used the entire summer to save as much money as possible so that I wouldn't ever have to worry. But when you talk about investing, I actually wrote about this on my blog, and I just pulled it up. But if you took $100 every week, or hold, yeah, if you took $100 every week, you'd own $208,000 for if you did that for four years. So if you every year you put 100 bucks just in like a box or something like that, you have $208,000. But if you put that, hold on, hold on, say that again. If you put $100 every week, or if you saved $100 every week, you'd have $208,000 in 40 years. Oh, 40 years. Okay, never mind. We're good. <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm like, I'm like, my math is correct. But instead, if you would invest into an S&P 500 index fund and get a 10% return, which that has been the average, you'd have around $2 million, which is significantly more. So basically, by investing it, you have 10 times more money than you would have had. Yeah. And that's the thing is between inflation and anything else, um, it's not good enough just to save money. You have to find ways to hide its value. You know, there, And there's many ways to do that. Uh, Robinhood makes it way easier than normal. Now, what I've been doing is uh, lately because I don't have enough to be doing anything risky. Yeah. Actually, then, just because I don't like having money in my bank account itself because it bothers me. It's like this money was supposed to go somewhere. Where Where is it supposed to go? So I like to keep my bank account low, but like have everything like put to the right place. Um, and so what I've been doing is I've tried to be putting as much as possible into the uh, S&P 500 because even if like the stock market crashes, it'll likely, you know, all eventually be back. So it's like the safest place to put it. Cause even if it has hyperinflation, it's safe. So like there's many things that can happen and anything short of the end of the world, I'll eventually be able to get that same value out of everything I've put in. And I say the only way, even if the S and P 500 does crash, the only way it doesn't go back to where it is now is if America as a country fails. And then at that point you have bigger problems. <laughs> Exactly. I'm not caring about the, you know, several thousand dollars I lose in that eventually. Like it's not a, it's not your top concern. So, but no, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thing. Is like I invest in two different ways. First one, you know, I have Acorns where I have it set up where a certain amount of money automatically gets invested into Acorns every week. I never touch it. I never look at it. It invests everything for me. So it's like I don't do any work of that at all. I just let it compound over time and then i have sofi where i actually research and buy stocks myself and trade it and my goal is to beat the robo investing app like which is mostly the s&p 500 but if i don't that's where most of my money's going so i think i tell people you should have around i'd say 60 percent of your like if, even if you're actively investing 60 percent should be in the S&P 500. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, that's the thing is it's uh, it's conservative. It's not going to make you as much as, you know, other things. I will say, you know, like, look, some of our friends in college were trading stock options for a while. Yeah. And, you know, how is it you said it? You said it best. It's like, look, if I, if I just invested in the S&P 500 every uh, – if I just invested the same amount of money as you, let's say it was $100 a week into the S&P mm -hmm. 500. And you traded the same, you did options the same amount. Like, what would it be in a year? What would it be in two years? Because I think 
Oh, I said, yeah, like if I was trading options and you were just investing in S&P and we're investing the same amount of money, I might beat you the first year, I might beat you the second year, but when you're looking like a 10-year average, you're always going to beat me. Right, because um, the American economy is always growing, so like why, you know, why gamble on it? And that's the thing is there is so much out of your control that unless you actually just enjoy it for fun, which, you know, I know you do, and unless you're basically, you know, you're doing it and enjoy it and you actually see something in the news and you're realizing that nobody else sees it and so you think you're actually going to be able to get a little bit, you know, and that's the best thing is if that if you enjoy that, then trade in the stock market and have fun with it. But at the same time, just like you said, the S&P 500, that should be where almost all your money is because that's safest. Yeah, but I, do, I do still actively invest, and I talked about this on another one of my blog posts. But the reason I actively invest and don't just put everything at S&P 500 is simply because I think it's more fun to actively invest. So I put most of it into S&P 500, but that's boring. The rest I'm actively trading and having fun with. Absolutely, and that gets into the, you know, what is, uh, you know, that gets into your passions, you know, what are you doing for fun, and my goal is to, um, my goal is to build up enough wealth to be able to run for office, hopefully sooner than later. Um, and my goal yeah. is to be the richest person that's ever existed, so. and <laughs> <laughs> we have different goals. A little um, bit. <laughs> but. You know, I, I have always, you know, I'm taking the slow and steady approach because I want to be guaranteed to be able to protect the family, be able to do anything necessary. And I'm willing to trade that security in definitely being okay for any, you know, excessive gains that I could get from being a little more risky with it. Because I want to be able to get married, you know, in my 20s, stuff like that. And so I want to be able to have certain things steadily growing and able to succeed rather than, um, you know, basically put all of it into a future for a much bigger reward, but also more slightly more risky reward. Well, this is actually why I started doing like financial consulting, because I realized, one, most people are not going to spend all of their time learning about the financial world. But I am. So, <laughs> simply because that's what I enjoy doing. So that's why I started doing financial consulting, so people don't have to necessarily devote all their time to it right and that's a that's a big deal it really um that that would be a good this would be a good one to plug on your um you know in the description as uh, your finance your finance page would be a good one to uh plug here yeah finance by cwt.wordpress.com <laughs> do you know um, i have three blogs now really yeah i um well I have a lot of ideas, and then I get an idea, I become obsessed with it. So, I like like cryptocurrency a lot, so I started a cryptocurrency blog, and then I started a finance blog, and then I have my personal business blog, so yeah, I currently have three. Wow. What is your like long-term goals with those? Well, it's actually very interesting. So my personal blog, you know, that's something I'm always going to be posting about, like, you know, my updates to side projects and everything, but really... I want to start using, like with my crypto blog, I'm monetizing it with Coinbase. I want to build my, really, Bitcoin with it. With my um, personal blog, I kind of sponsor my current business projects. And my finance blog, I'm doing consulting. Basically, all three make money in very different ways, but they all make money. 
So I do want to make a significant amount of money with it and then use that money to invest into startups. Not like startups with like $14 million valuations already, but actually go, you know, very low. You know, startups are just starting out that maybe made like $20,000 total and invest in those. Get like a significant amount of that equity. So basically... Kind of like Shark Tank. Yeah, kind of like Shark Tank. Actually, yeah, because their startups are usually on a smaller scale than like a VC. Because like a venture capitalist, you know, they're investing, you know, large chunks of money for in comparison, lower equity, but their companies like huge growth potential, whereas Shark Tank, those companies are already making revenue and like profit. So like find those, and then it kind of like ties back because basically all the social media work, all the blogging work, all the podcasting work is to kind of establish myself in the finance world. And when I'm established and I actually have a significant following, then when I invest that money into the startups, I can use my platforms and actually go back to my blogs and advertise for them without spending a single dime. So I use the money I make for my blogs to invest into startups and then use my blogs to grow those startups and get like a bigger return on the equity that I own. That's kind of like my long-term goals is to buy equity in startups that I believe in and then use my platforms and audience to grow them and I have kind of seen like a proof of concept with that from affiliate marketing because even though I don't you know own equity in those I'm able to get a percentage from the sales I get them so I've seen how I can transition audience into customers for the brands that I'm partnered with right interesting yeah, I, I would say I'm, I'm doing something similar with, uh, I don't know if I told you, I'm actually currently, re I, that's actually something I was going to do tonight before you were like, hey, let's do a podcast. And I was like, hey, yeah, let's let's relaunch that business. Um, I um, have basically been restarting Carolina Conservatives, which you'll remember was a project in, um, you know, one of our classes together. I do remember that, yeah. Um. Which, as I said, the original concept for the website, I'm not doing because I decided that that was a, I don't like media. I don't like the news because I've decided they're kind of evil. Oh, um, so you're not doing the um, aggregator anymore? Well, it's going to like keep some aspects of it and stuff, but the big thing is... I have watched people around me, right? Because I'm passionate about politics, so I'm friends with people who are passionate about politics. And basically, you know, I've always enjoyed it, and I've actually looked for actual news. Yeah. And in doing so, I've, like, you know, I've noticed that most of these people who like politics and stuff are sucked into this constant bantering, usually of stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and they're often, in many cases, paying for this, and it's usually stuff that is distracting from actual points. You know, oftentimes it is articles and stuff all written with, you know, really just heinous headlines in order to get people to click and read the article because they're making money on ad revenue. Now, obviously, you know, that's kind of, you know, I'm going to make a little bit of money from ad revenue and stuff, but I decided that I shouldn't have to lie to bring people to my page. And because I was a news aggregator, you know, first and foremost, that means I was basically actually literally profiting on other people's lives. Yeah, I say you're just compiling all the lies on one platform. Right. 
So I am still going to be getting the news from elsewhere because we still do need, you know, to have a, you know, all the relevant news in one place. But the key word there is relevant. Yeah. So, and this is how it's going to create value for people. I'm going to filter out anything um, that's dumb. And now, and what I mean by that is, is this relevant to a conservative in North Carolina? And I am a conservative in North Carolina, and I enjoy reading the news. So it should be pretty easy for me to see, hey, this was good to read. This was a nothing burger. This is actually enjoyable. And then for monetization, um, I work at a sign company. So I actually know how to get good deals on you know, merchandise and stuff. So what I'm going to do is basically sell political gear and to people who want it. And I'm going to make sure basically, you know, like we said in the last episode – I'm making sure that I'm only giving stuff to people who want it or need it. That's true, because, I mean, what we're doing is a different kind of sale. Because, you know, I'm selling, you know, actually, like, business products, but through a blog. So, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm interacting with someone face-to-face, you know, like, I'm responding to their objections, you know, I'm leading them in the right direction. I don't get to do any of that. It's just on the blog itself, someone has to read it. And they come to the conclusion to buy it. So it's actually a lot more marketing than sales. And it would be the same for you as well. Because you can't really lead them in the right direction. You just have to expose them that the product exists. And get them to buy it. Which is the difference between marketing and sales. So that's actually going to be interesting to see. Because we know how we are at sales. To see like marketing instead. But one question I have for you. Which I don't know if you're like you know want me to ask questions about it. But I was curious about something. Yeah. So... You know, if you're doing a um, you know conservative blog, you're conservative yourself. How are you going to make sure, basically, that there's not lies? Like, how do you eliminate the bias? Right. Well, I'm not eliminating the bias because I'm a conservative and I can't eliminate a bias that is true. But what I can do is acknowledge a bias. And when I when I talk about the lies, I talk about um, there is a sector of basically conservative media, and we call them patriots. That's P-A-Y-T-R-I-O-T-S. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, and they basically profit off of uh, you know people excited to read the news. And the headlines are often you know not relevant, first of all. And then there's a second type of basically lie that I'm trying to you know make sure is you know you know filtered out. And we are also producing original content, by the way, so it's not all you know the same. Thing over and over again but um yeah. you know one big one is oftentimes all the media in the country turns to an issue that somebody got to decide was important but the thing is when politicians are all evil and the people who run the politicians are the media on um, you know both right and left i'm not here's the thing is yes i am a you know registered republican but i am no friend of most politicians who are in either party because most of them are terrible people and they are um this you know why why should we let a congressman from either party decide what we're talking about you know in the day and that's what we've been doing we've been effectively letting we've been effectively letting a fox in the hen house and then letting that fox choose what the farmer gets to hear about that's a yeah that's a good way to put it i thought i thought about doing like a political blog once, like a libertarian blog, although I didn't end up doing it because I didn't think I would keep doing it. That happens to me a lot. Like, I get inspiration from something, and then I just 
don't finish it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I kind of stopped Carolina Conservatives was that I didn't want to do it, you know, full time. But I realized as a side hustle and news aggregator and stuff, I actually had people reaching out saying, hey, we want to help you with this and stuff. So that yeah. there were actually people who had already seen Carolina Conservatives and liked what I was doing, which a big one that I actually did do some of the only original content on my old site was um, basically raising up conservative children, you know, like, hey, you know, what are good books to read and stuff that basically teach kids about, you know, the world that, you know, we believe that, you know, they should, you know, understand and one big one was uh, actually the Laura Ingalls books because those actually tell the story of living on the frontier and stuff. And it really makes kids understand, hey, the world had to be tamed. And that's something many people our age do not understand. And that made some money too, didn't it? Um, yeah, actually that did produce revenue because I had hooked up uh, some what, – what did I, I – I had used anima, Amazon affiliate links for that. And, uh, yeah, it produced a little bit, uh, a couple people, um, they bought a couple things from that, um, that article. So I was very happy to see that because at least some kids somewhere already basically had a book that was bought because of an article I wrote. And that was, that was over like a couple month period that I was running the site. Oh yeah. I remember like, um, one of my most successful, like affiliate marketings was, you know, I use Acorn. So I started using the referral link and posted on my blogs. And it's like some people did sign up, and it's like, you know, the way I look at it is because of my content, someone has bettered their life and started building wealth for themselves. And that does make me, like, pretty happy knowing that I was a part of that. Because that is my goal. Well, part of my goal, I have a lot of goals. But part of my goal is to get more people investing because it makes me mad that people don't. Like, I saw a statistic... And it was actually one of the reasons I launched my finance blog. But 39% of Americans are have $0 in the stock market. Wow. And that, um, it depressed me. And that was actually the first blog post made on my new finance blog. It was because of that. And I concluded that the only reason that could be true is because people simply just don't understand and that's also why i'm doing consulting work in finance because i do want to help people like my goal is to better like my well, one of my goals is for people to better understand their finances and to be able to have a better life because money does lead to a better life whether you want it to or not yeah no that that's true Here, here's the, i saw something that says you can be you can be cry you you can cry in an old uh Old car or a new car, um, <laughs> but yeah, know, I like that. It feels it feels a lot nicer to cry in a new car. <laughs> also, I have never ever seen someone crying on a jet ski, ever. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like um, money doesn't make you happy, but it eliminates a lot of the problems that make you sad. Right. Well, you know. I don't think that it's wrong to want to uh, make sure that your family is well taken care of. That's the thing. It's like, um, I don't know, like I really do want not only wealth, but generational wealth. I do. Like actually, the richest family in the world is not, I mean, Jeff Bezos is the richest person in the world, but it's, the richest family in the world is still the Waltons. Because of what Sam Walton did... 
None of his kids have to worry about money ever. They're that they're at the top. And that's amazing. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah, it, part of me like would like to see Sam Walton still alive. I mean, it'd be cool to see if Sam Walton's still alive, how he would have um, handled Amazon, because obviously Walmart did not do the best job. Did you know that Walmart did try to buy Amazon at one point, though? Wow. Yeah, they should have made a better offer. <laughs> at, at least Walmart didn't pass up Amazon like uh, Blockbuster did Netflix. Oh, yeah, not only that, that, but laugh, Reed Hastings out of the building. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> that. That's literally what happened. Like, he tried to get them to buy Netflix, and they thought it was the funniest thing, like, them buying Netflix. It's actually interesting because they almost beat Netflix. Like, they were doing, you know, like, launching their own thing to compete with Netflix. It was doing really well. Like, Netflix was basically defeated. And then Blockbuster switched management around, and the new management was like, nah, streaming's not the future. We had to focus on what we're doing already and keep renting these DVDs. <laughs> yeah, so if it wasn't for the management change, we'd be having Blockbuster still. We'd all be like, let's go stream on Blockbuster. And Netflix oh, would have been a thing of the past. Could you imagine Blockbuster and chill? <laughs> Oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> I, I would, I would, um, I would say some like alternatives to Blockbuster and Chill, but I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to get demonetized. I don't even know if we are monetized. I don't know if we're monetized either. We can be. Anchor actually is really good at monetization. They'll basically sponsor all your episodes for you until you get actual sponsors. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I so I probably will turn that on. It's only like a cent per listener, but if you, I mean if you have a good amount of listeners, that's a good amount of money. Right. Well, hey, you know, again, like uh, we're doing this for fun. We're also doing this. Hope you know. Hopefully, somebody somewhere hears this and chooses to invest who wouldn't have invested before. That's really what I hope to kind of see with this. But so, what would you say your five-year plan be? Let's see. In the next five years, I want to, one, do a lot more advertising for my blog and gain a lot, or a much bigger audience for it, and increase kind of like my following as someone in the finance industry. I also want to register a holding company. And before the five years is over, I want to not only have investments in a lot of startups i want to own let's see in five years i want to own at least two startups from microquire which you can buy startups at for about five thousand dollars or around that number so it's like i'd like to own a few startups of my own that are already producing cash and also have bets in regular startups that you know i might not see a return for for about you know let's say five to eight years as they build and, you know, build a profit for themselves, but also have cash producing business of my own under the holding company. And also have an audience on my platforms that can actually help grow those businesses that I own myself into bigger cash flow producing companies. That's what I believe will happen in the next five years. And also grow my consulting agency 
into someone that's managing a lot of portfolios and creating budgets for people. Awesome. I feel like that's realistic for five years, like two cash flow producing businesses, investments in, you know, multi-million dollar evaluated startups and financial consulting agency that's doing really well. No, I certainly think knowing you, knowing what you've done the last little bit as well, knowing <laughs> knowing how passionate you are about this and stuff, I have no doubt that you'll be at least that far. Honestly, I mean, and really, any number one, any number of those things could take off and send you way further than that. But I like that your like point, your five year plan is actually quite conservative and basically saying, look, at least we're going to have this. At, at the very least, that's what I need. That you're not gonna do that, you know? No, I said, because if you think about it, here's how I look at it. You buy a startup for around $5,000 already producing profit. Let's say you get the profit up to, you know, a thousand, you have two of those. In a few months, you already have the cash just from those startups to invest in the next. And then you have three each producing like a thousand a month. So within two months, you have the money to invest in the next. And then you keep using the cash you're producing from the business you already own to buy more. Right. Well, you know, what I think uh, a little fact that I think most people, you know, don't realize is $700,000. Yeah. A dividend producing index fund would produce $3,000 a month. Oh, really? Yeah, that right there. And here's the thing is that sounds like a lot, but I guarantee that most people go through more than that in their lifetime by, you know, several times over, but they spend it on things that don't matter. You know, if you have, um, and th you know, think about it is how many people do you know that have an RV? A lot. Quite a bit. You still, you still can't say. <laughs> Everyone that I react with on a daily basis has an RV. But that's the thing is RVs are one, $200,000. And, you know, one, if somebody had just dumped that money into the stock market, you know, into like those dividend producing funds, not doing anything, you know, just that compound, that compounding over, you know, reinvesting all that. Yeah. You know, they would never have to work again in a few years. And like people don't, well, not a few years, but in probably 10 years time, you know, choosing between an RV and like, you know, a investment like that. So you know, actually, you know, working at it, actually building those cash flow things yourself and then having that cash flow to put elsewhere and invest, you know, you're going to do great. So that's the thing, like, if my five-year plan goes how I say it will, and it will, at 26 years old, I could just manage investments and that's it. Yeah, I always forget that you're a year younger than me. Um, yeah, I'm tw just turned 21. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I just, I, I, it doesn't feel like it, but I just turned 22, so. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, we're still both very young, though, and that's the thing. The fact that we're already thinking about this now is crucial. Yeah, absolutely, and, the, and I also think that's what separates us from a lot of our peers, and if you are our peers and listening, uh, get on our level. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, just by listening to this in the first place, at least you're taking an interest in like finance and business. And I feel like that's kind of the key is, I mean, obviously this stuff isn't easy, but it's really not that hard either. Right. Well, what I like to tell people is don't listen to me. I'm a dumbass, but look at this book I read. You know, yeah. Like, it's not, 
and, and again, like I watched with interest for a lot of stuff, even while you were starting doing stuff, I was still just watching with interest. So that's true. You know, just because you haven't invested in something, even if you're 25 or 26, doesn't mean you're doomed to never invest and to always live paycheck to paycheck. It's a mentality you have to enter. But also keep in mind, now you are investing. Right. No, and that's the thing is like, look, I started at 22. It doesn't sound impressive when I am 22, but when other people are 30 and starting, that's a big deal all of a sudden. I'm going to say the way like compounding works too, like let's say, you know, you start at 22, by the time you're 65, you know, you have um, 43 years of compounding. Someone at 30, by the time they're 65, they have 35 years of compounding. That eight-year difference is insanely significant when you actually look at compounding. Right. No, and so... Um, like, I've actually yeah, looked at... Happy. Sorry, I actually looked at, like, the compound interest calculators, and when you compound for 30 years versus compounding for 40 years, it is such a huge difference that it's insane. Wow. Dang. And also, like, what is your five-year plan? So, my five-year plan is a little bit different. Because, um, again, my goals are a little bit different. So, my goal is to run for office and get into the state house at twenty in 2024. I was going to do 2022, but some stuff has come up, and basically I realized it's going to be way better for me to get financially right now and be able to do that. Yeah, a lot more so, advertising. You know, for the first time, and, you know, what what will become a majority of my time will basically be a state representative. Now, because of the way this county is, it's very possible that I'm in the state house in 2024 rather than in January of 2025. But regardless, my goal is to get in there. And honestly, I think I'll win. I have a good chance of it. Obviously, don't know who's running yet. And honestly, I shouldn't really say I'm running because, you know, it just gives people an excuse to start watching and taking pictures of every single thing I ever post, which I'm pretty <laughs> squeaky clean. I'm a good guy, so I don't see how it would come back to get. But it's never smart to, you know, just tell anybody that. But, yeah, you know, that's really, you know, that's part of the five-year plan here. Um, I think you'll win, too. Wise. Say again? So I think you'll win, too. Well, thank you. Uh, Finance-wise... We are at a, you know, I'm just right now trying to get away from paycheck to paycheck. I've yeah. saved, saved quite a bit. Um, I had to, and th this this is where um, people who are young, you know, especially live with your parents as long as possible, you know, and help out with the rent, you know, help out, you know, paying, you know, the expenses, you know, do chores and everything, like earn your keep. But the more you can save, and get in, you know, in preparation for, well, and, you know, in my case, I'm waiting for the housing crash so I can get something very <laughs> cheap. And that's the thing is I'm helping my parents around the house and I'm, you know, able to, you know, stay here. And so I've been blessed with a very understanding, you know, family in that way. And so while I'm looking for a place, and again, it's just, there are $6,000 houses right now going for 120. Are you trying to like buy a house? Or you trying to just rent one? Um, I'm, I don't want to rent a house because around here, a rental costs as much or more than a, a house payment. I definitely get that. So I, I said, like, I did money for someone else. I said, I did move out. Like I do have my own place. 
Part of me does wish that I would have waited a little bit because I would have had so much more, like, savings. Right. Well, you know, think it's a, it's the com it's kind of the compound interest argument in the yeah. in the same way, but a little bit different is, you know, right now I'm investing as much as I can into things I can do cash flow wise. That's why you know I'm building that blog back. Um, there's ways I'm currently the campaign manager for Greg C uh, for Sheriff Seabolt here in Randolph. I'm going to be able to. I won't be monetizing that on his campaign. Yeah. But basically, that'll be a launch pad for potentially some political consulting in some fashion in the near future. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that that I'm building up to ensure that I'm getting away from the, uh, you know, nine to five reliance. Because once you're in the state house, yeah, it pays a little bit, but it doesn't pay a lot. And so you have to basically be able to, you know, make your ends meet, not able to work half the week. Or so, just do inside trading like the rest of them. <laughs> well, I, I will not be inside tra insider trading, but yeah, no, that'd be really. It's a lot easy. It's really easy to you know choose the winners when you're literally choosing winners. If I, say, I was actually looking at it, and um, like there's been a, so many times where like significant amounts of like Congress people bought a stock, and then you know a few like days after that it just shoots up, and that's the thing. It's like. You can actually see what stocks they're picking. So if you invest based off how they invest, you can make a ton of money. Yeah, no, nah, well, that's the thing is congressmen get reports that most people don't get and stuff. Now, I'm out running for the state house, so that's a little different. But um, Yeah, it's a different, but still. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and so my goal there is to monetize you know, all of that. Now, my goal is also to monetize my being a young member of the state house because – and that's where the Carolina conservatives come in is Carolina conservatives, you know, may build a follow, will build a following on its own. Cause I'm actually investing in ads, but once I'm actually in the state house, Carolina conservatives matters more because it's literally the voice of the youngest person in the state house. How much are you spending on ads? Um, so none yet because I have to get verified with Facebook to run anything political. It's actually oh, the one sense. reason I regretted doing a political blog. But um, I'm investing like $20 a week because that's literally just, you know, cut out a couple coffees. That makes sense. I better say I'm, you know, want to do the same because I need to get more email subscribers on my blogs. Absolutely. And I, and I think that uh, in your case, you're already producing revenue. So that's true. You know, as long as you're pushing hard on like a lot of the revenue, you know, angle of it, you'll probably get a return on investment pretty fast. My return on investment is ways off. But the thing is, again, I'm trading time right now for cash flow. Another thing I want to do in the next five years is um, I have a couple investors I'm talking to in order to start a cigar lounge locally here in Randolph County, because that is a huge gap in the market. Cigars are becoming really popular. And so that's something I'll be working on. Oh, yeah, that will make a lot of revenue. Yeah. So, again, the goal here is to create multiple – I think the goal for both of us is in our 20s, we're trying to create multiple revenues or multiple streams of revenue and mitigating risk. Yeah. And then once we have those multiple streams of revenue, we're going to be investing as much as we can of that into stuff that cascades into bigger and bigger investments. Exactly. Like, I'm trying to – buy startups and use the money that I make from the startups to buy more startups and like you know like I'm using that money to actually increase the amount of money that I make and also producing my own like financial consulting agency 
you know, you're running from office and also doing like a, you know, Caroline Conservatives blog and building upon that. And it's like this thing, we both have our main thing that we're doing making money, but we also have like a bunch of things on the side making us more money. And that's crucial because as I do, and as you both take more like financial risk, like let's say, you know, five years from now, I decide to create, you know, a new kind of business. I now have the cash flow where I don't have to worry about the success anymore. No, absolutely. Um, And that's the thing is we're talking about freedom here. Like I have no doubt that by the time I'm 30, I'll be worth over a million dollars and able to invest in something if if I see a good opportunity. And Uh, I have no doubt that you'll have, uh, you'll probably be worth multiple times what I'm worth. (laughs) Billionaire by 30. I was going to say, because, like, yeah, there's there's just a lot of reasons I think that, but also, you're just, you're a madman. Um. It's all about knowing what you want. Like, I remember, uh, also, like, creating, like, really high goals. There's a quote by Larry Page, who's, like, co-founder of Google. It's very hard to fail completely when you aim high enough. Right. Which, you know, again, like, I'm basically, I'm focusing on building my like personal brand and then making money passively off of that. Yeah, same. Which means once I'm elected, you know, again, a book written by Corey Bortry isn't worth much. A book written by the, hmm, if I'm elected, I would be probably the fifth or, I would be like the top 10 youngest people elected in the country is a state, you know, in the state like legislatures. Yeah. So, like, you know, you're talking about somebody who's like, hey, this person's actually the future of the party. We better pay attention to him and see whether or not we agree or disagree. So, you know, there's a lot of there's there is some power that comes in being a young politician and stuff. And there is a lot of personal value that comes in there. Now, I'm not just saying, oh, I'm profiting off it because you know I actually do want to do good. But the, these politicians who are all corrupt and stuff to make money are idiots yeah that's a good point also if you can do good and profit at the same time there's no reason not to absolutely it's always better to profit yeah i think that's honestly a pretty good summarization of our like two plans as far as um it's crazy how like uh i mean obviously they're in different sectors you know like politics to finance but it's crazy how similar our goals are. We're both trying to make income off of our brands and build that brand up. Obviously, right. different ways of doing it. But it's crazy how like similar our paths have like become, like the actual like uh, strategy. Right. Well, one, we studied similar people, but also I think that there is a formula that is to success that we are following. Agreed. And so, you know, now what that formula is exactly, I couldn't tell you. I can just tell you that it starts with, again, getting it to where you can spend an hour not for a pay. You have to become independent of the paycheck. That's the first step, because until you can get out from under your paycheck, you can't do anything for the future. Yeah, I'd like to take a week off and go on vacation and come back and find out I still made money during that time. And at the point that you do that... Assuming you just don't blow it, yeah, like you're gonna be okay in life. Again, barring any for you know huge wars, the fall of America or the world as we know it, and all that good stuff. 
And when I say we can't protect you from America ending, but we can <laughs> we can build strong financial habits. Yeah, we can give you success in the financial system, assuming that financial system is still there. <laughs> exactly. That's one thing I cannot control at all. <laughs> but I was going to ask, so like, because you're doing consulting too. Do you worry about like, I mean, we talked about this on the last podcast too, but do you ever worry about how your like age would be a factor? You know, because people, you know, do like 60 year old people really want to take political advice from someone that's 22? So, you know, it's actually really interesting is um, I suffer from imposter syndrome. I think most people who are young actually, you know, do. Yeah, but definitely. What I found and this and I actually found out, you know, about a conversation is I was handpicked to be campaign manager from, uh, you know, Greg Siebel. Yeah. Uh, you know, whenever he was told by his uh, campaign chairwoman, that's the only person in the campaign higher than me, that he needed to pick a campaign manager, he dropped my name and brought me in and interviewed me. Um, the reason is I'd called him and told him about things, you know, several times over. Um, and so I was never really concerned about whether or not he thought I was qualified. One, <laughs> because I never even considered myself for the position. <laughs> he showed me an empty space on there. And I was thinking, well, man, I would love to do that, but also, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask for that position. There's, you know, there's other, you know, I was, I was actually very humble with that. And I will say, I find that if you show somebody that you are extremely qualified for something, yeah. you don't have to ask for it. Not always the case, you know. Sometimes it's like sales; you have to close the deal. But in that case, you know, there were certain things that I was able to do. Again, I can't say how I did it because. Frankly, all I need, I, I don't need competition, but I know how to use the party system and how to basically get voter lists and stuff that rep all Republican candidates have a right to. And most people understand, hey, the Republican Party is supposed to help me. The Republican Party doesn't have to tell you how they're supposed to help you if you're a Republican candidate. They're only supposed to help you if you know what form to fill out. That in itself basically made me the most valuable person because you're talking about people who have been in Randolph County. For 20 years, people who have run for office, in fact, um, you know, some of these people are, you know, great mentors to me, right? Yeah. But I'd been in Raleigh, and I actually have been on the other side of that system. I'm friends with the interns who send stuff to people when they ask for it. So I've actually seen how they help the establishment. So the, the fact that I just simply know how it works means that I've seen more than a lot of these people who have been in there for 40 years. So... I'm one of the most, you know, sought after people in the county as far as uh, that goes now. And that's the thing is people don't even know to seek me yet. <laughs> but I have a skill that most people in running for office don't even know they need. So whenever I come up and they're sitting there and they're struggling and they're like, man, I don't even know what to do. I'm not raising enough money and I don't even know how to get the list of voters. And I'm like, oh, I've done that for three different candidates here. <laughs> And it's one form. That's true. At that point, they can't focus on your age because you've already shown them what they can do. Exactly. And so when I outlined what I was getting for them from the party, the words of the campaign chair was uh, actually, it was this right here, is uh, you can stop. She, she interrupted me halfway through my saying everything we could do with it. <laughs> she said, we know we need you. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, my, um, that's actually why I launched my, like, financial consulting plans 
through a finance blog because my goal with that is to uh, use the blog post to kind of like show my knowledge, show them know what I'm talking about. Because when you read the actual blog post, you can tell, or at least the goal is for them to be able to tell that you know whoever wrote this knows what he's talking about. So then I don't have to you know necessarily pitch to them and show them why I'm qualified, all that stuff. They read it for themselves and then decided they want to like pay for financial, like a consulting call. Absolutely. And so for anybody who actually has the question, basically it's like, Hey, how do I know when I'm qualified? Or, Hey, what if these people don't think I'm qualified? Well, the answer is don't tell them, show them. Exactly. I'm about to say, if you're worried, like if you're wondering how people are going to know you're qualified, that's really the long way of looking at it. They shouldn't have to, or you shouldn't have to like show them why you're qualified. They should know because of what you do. Uh-huh. I know that's really something that, as that's something you gotta realize too. Is that, I mean, rather it's gonna be it, it's it's gonna be some reason. There's always gonna be some reason not to hire you for something. You know, rather it be your age, race, whatever. You've got to show them. Or let them see for themselves why it doesn't matter. Right, and that's and, and again, it's um, it's actually you know similar to um, it's similar to selling signs or anything else is what you need to do. And whenever it comes to actually getting a position or proving that you know you yourself are qualified, you often have to find a way to say it. When you're actually selling yeah. a product, you can say, "Hey, look, this product is what you need, and here's the math behind it." It's a little harder when you're talking about, you know, yourself because you have to get them to do, hey, two plus two is equal to four in their head. You need them to go to someone else and try and sell to you. And so it's a little bit harder because you actually have to have them experience a thought that, you know, they feel is independent that basically says this guy knows what he's talking about. He's like, like if I was selling you a computer and I ravished and like rave all about the computer, that's one thing. But if I'm trying to like sell myself and I ravish and rave all about me, I look like an egotistical maniac. <laughs> like it's a much different thing to sell. I can't just rave on about me. I have to make you rave on about me. Well, you know, it's the difference between my saying, hey, if you don't buy this sign, you're a moron. Yeah. Versus, hey, if you don't hire me, you're a moron. Both are insulting. One. But one can actually, you could actually, I wouldn't do this, right? But I could actually open with that line and then explain why. I couldn't do that with the second one. Yeah, that's very true because then they've already basically decided not to hire you at that point. I mean, most people would. Last thing, you can show someone, without even, like, without even saying it, you can show someone why they would be a moron for not hiring you. You can show them like your qualifications or let them see your qualifications, let them see your work. Like if you're trying to start like uh, marketing for a company, instead of like pitching the company and be like, oh, you're stupid if you don't hire me, I'm the best marketer ever, send them a portfolio of your work and then let, let, let them gain their own opinion from the work without you doing anything. Exactly. Well, you know, and again, like I, um, I know I started talking to Greg Siebel about uh, web design work. That was the first thing I actually spoke to him about. And we found out later on, basically, because of the system he used, I wasn't any good for web design, but 
I was still in his, I had still gotten to him at that point and was able to like talk to him and he was able to see what I was good at. Yeah. So you know, there are many ways to kind of, you know, go about proving you're qualified, but starting the blog, starting a blog for like a service business. Yeah. That's the easiest way to uh, go about getting qualified for something. No, I say, cause they read the post first, see them qualified. And then they say they can call me for financial call. But I remember when I was doing like sponsored blog posts, like that's what I would do is I would, um, like cold message a lot of startups and be like, Oh, you know, you should do this. It's like, like, you know, telling them why they should do it. And I didn't really have much luck. And then I started like sitting down and be like, Hey, you know, I can do this for you. Here's examples of others I do. And then they can see for themselves that they like it or not. There's not much work I have to do there. No, absolutely. And so there is just a level of, um, sometimes you have to work for free too, especially building that portfolio early on. But again, once you're able to show people that you're valuable, you know, it, it makes life a lot easier for you. And you're probably still going to have imposter syndrome. Definitely. In fact, uh, I was introduced to like the whole like you know campaign committee, right? And, you know, there are probably you know twenty people around the sheriff, you know, all waiting for instruction and stuff. Yeah. And the sheriff pointed at me, and he basically said, "So from now on, everybody takes orders from him." Now, my first, you know, my first thing to say is I cracked a joke, <laughs> and I said, "Well, that's a terrible idea." Now, <laughs> not enough people laughed for that to have landed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know like that certainly doesn't help with the whole imposter syndrome thing at the same time though my results speak for themselves you know people, people didn't really understand you know at that meeting and stuff because half these people have never met me before they're like you know why you know in fact i'll bet some people have said man if that's if that kid is campaign manager we're in a lot of trouble by the way, furthest thing from the truth, there's not a better campaign to have been made a campaign manager on. Like, this this should be a cakewalk for the sheriff, honestly. Uh, assuming everyone goes out and votes. But um, Which is the hard part, getting people to actually vote. <laughs> it is, but, like, you're talking about a guy who has, you know, taken in, you know, seized more drugs than anybody else in the, can you know, in before in the county, you know, like, huge numbers increases cut the response time for emergencies like by 10 minutes and had a million dollar budget surplus. That's huge right there. I cannot believe a million dollar surplus on that yeah, small of a scale too. In full capacity as Greg Seabolt's campaign manager, the fact that anybody would run against him is a disgrace. <laughs> the man is the most reelectable person in the country. And anybody who wants him out of office is a criminal or an idiot. It's probably going to be more the last part, like people who just don't realize these things. But honestly, I get at the same time, like I have no idea what my local sheriff has done. Right, and that, and it is it is difficult for that. See, that's the thing. I wouldn't blame somebody to vote against him, obviously, for um, reasons that you know like they don't know or hey maybe they didn't recognize the sheriff or hey maybe they maybe they're personal friends with the other guy running that's perfectly fine but i have also seen you know a large portion of people are actually ex-officers who want their jobs back oh i see and so and you know anything basically in certain circumstances especially once you add politics anything that is fired is a political firing I see, and yeah. It is because if they can get their buddy elected, they might be able to get back into office. In many cases, though, probably not anyway. But 
it just gives something for somebody to, you know, cry about. That, that's all it is. There's always going to be somebody, you know, unhappy. But, again, you know, I support everybody's right to run for office and everything, but also I support everybody's right to vote for the best candidate there. Yeah, I also support everyone's right to lose. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, there's different things you can do for credibility. And that's, that's another thing, though, is the reason Greg Siebel is qualified to be sheriff is because he's done a dang good job as sheriff. You know, once you do a good job on something, you're qualified. Exactly. That's the way that... I feel like that's the best way to, like, handle imposter syndrome, too, is when you're dealing with it, like, look back at all the things that you actually did accomplish. Like, remind yourself why you're qualified in the first place. Absolutely. Well, you know, if you... Also, I, I think in many cases, yeah, you have imposter syndrome, yeah. but I don't think you actually have imposter syndrome. Because deep down, you know you're worth it because unless you're a thief, you're not lying to people about what you can do for them. So how is it that you've gotten this project and then all of a sudden you're an imposter? Like, logically speaking, you're not a bad person, therefore you're not a liar. Therefore, you genuinely believe you can do this and you're just getting cold feet. That's a good motivational thing, actually. I have to ask, so I know we haven't graduated for long. Like We just recently graduated college. But while you're in college, did you think that you'd be at where you're at right now? Like, do you imagine that I mean, even though it's only been a little bit of time, like where you're at now, did you, do you think while in college you would have thought you would have gotten this far already? Hmm. I think not because um, in many ways, yes. Like, you know, like finance-wise, yeah, I'm about where I was expecting. You know, didn't do anything too good. Didn't think do anything too bad. Have about the same about. I have about the amount of debt I expected. Yeah. Um, COVID is amazing. COVID helped our, uh, you know, student loans not take on interest while we were in school. So that is. That was nice. It was very nice. Um, the big thing is I cannot believe how quickly my connections in local county politics has grown. Like, I went from being, you know, virtually unknown to beloved by many, you know, powerful people, and I hope to continue doing so. That's, I'm trying to think what the answer would be like for myself, but also, I technically graduated like two days ago, so... Right. Well, that's the thing is you're going to have a lot more time to dedicate to your side hustles than you did before because you were still in school. So that's a good point. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you do now with you know that you're actually completely unbridled. Like and I say, like I finished school about a month ago, but I technically just now officially graduated. But I will say it has been a lot easier. Like after work, you know, I work on my side hustles. My days off, work on my side hustles, and when I look. I mean, it was recently, so I feel like, for the most part, I am where I thought I'd be. Although, before I got this current job, I'd, I'd make a little bit more than I thought I would. And um, I have a little bit more ideas than I originally had. Like, I had a plan to reach that billion-dollar mark that I want. But I feel like I currently have more ways to get there than I did. Yes, okay, that too. For some reason, even though my the level of information I have hasn't really changed, I think it's a mindset thing. And I can't yeah. even tell you what part of the mindset changed, but it's like, maybe it's a, okay, this is real now, so now I have to start 
it's like you change from punching below your weight class to you have to make sure you're punching above. And when you're Definitely. looking for those opportunities and you feel like you're fighting a bigger opponent, start to look for ways around it. Yeah, also, like, I realized, um, you know, while I was in school, like, I mean, I was still blogging. I still had side hustles. I was still trying to start businesses. But there was a lot of stuff where I, you know, it said, once I'm graduated, you know, I'm going to go do this or I can go do this. And now when I have those thoughts, I'm like, wait, I am graduated now. So now I have to go do this. Right. You know, and that's a big, that's a big thing is uh, balancing personal relationships with everything. And I found um, <laughs> with, with the girlfriend, I have to um, keep boundaries because, yeah, you know what? I want to, um, you know, I want to spend as much time with her as possible, right? I want to spend as much time with friends as possible. But yeah. at the same time, wouldn't you prefer spend times or wouldn't you prefer spend time with your wife in five years in a nice house rather than still with a girlfriend because you can't afford to get married? Yeah. So is that worth two nights a week? Well, when, um, I mean, I'd hate to bring him up again, but when Zuckerberg was dating Priscilla Chan while he was making Facebook, they would hang out one hour per week. Because <laughs> I was thinking, she told him, she was like, listen, like, I know you're building this company and all, but you have to at least give me one hour a week. So that's what they did. Wow. But now when they hang out, like right now, they're surfing in Hawaii right now. That's how they're spending their time. Right. So, you know, I think you should not, you shouldn't put your significant other on the back burner forever. Certainly not. Yeah. But you should design boundaries and talk about it with them about what you intend on doing and explain to them what it means for you later. Because here's the thing. If they're actually not willing to sacrifice one or two days now for a lifetime of basically, you know, togetherness because you don't have to worry about work all the damn time. Yeah. Maybe that person's not for you anyway, you know, like that, that seems like a pretty good qualifier. And, you know, that's something that you really should. Again, I feel like I'm an old guy talking. <laughs> it's something that I'm very happy that, you know, my girlfriend's on the same page with me about. Definitely. But at the same time, like, you know, if you're like, you know, new to dating and you're looking for it's like, I don't even know what I like in a girl. Well, or in a guy, you know, maybe make sure that who, your significant other is actually mature as, as mature as you are on finances and how much time should go into certain places well, that's my thing is like you know i'm not dating right now and currently don't have any desire to but if somehow that changed and i was dating someone they would have to be understanding that there's something i'm trying to accomplish while i'm alive you know like they, they have to understand the goals and the thing is like if there's no one willing to do that, you know, I'm very much willing to be alone for a while while I build all this. Right. Because I don't know, to me, like, there's something, it's like I see it, there's some, like, there's some place I want to be in the next nine years on my 30th birthday. And I'm not really trying to let anything stop me from that happening. <laughs> right, and that's the thing is, you know, you're dedicated to a goal. And also, and that's the thing is, uh, SO should understand when you're dedicated to someone. And SO should never try and break somebody's convictions. That's true, because that's the thing. Well, that's also why, why like, um, you know, I'm not looking to date or anything, but when I think about, like, the perfect, 
like girl for me, it would have to be someone else who's ambitious and has goals. Yeah, absolutely. It will, because like there, there'd have to be that like common drive. I think. No, agreed. Because like if you don't, if you can't like understand on the base level about where ninety percent of your time goes, that's a very big part of your life that you can't, you know. As the Bible says, like cleave on with somebody. Yeah. Like, if you can't be like together on the biggest thing. Well, I think, like your girlfriend, you know, I don't know what her goals are, but I do know that she's at least extremely supportive of yours. Mm-hmm. And like willing to help you with that. Yes, absolutely, and that's a. Uh... Yeah, no, like, compatibility is a huge thing to always watch. And, again, I'm very happy. Yeah. I think um, most of the time, like, um, people that are very ambitious, when they start dating, I look at that as more of an obstacle in their path to success. Where I feel like with you, it's definitely a um, boost on your path to success. Right. Well, I think it was a valuable lesson because I am a, uh, honestly, I am a needy type individual. I like spending lots of time. Definitely. <laughs> like, hey, whoa, wait a minute. Look at my finances. I've been out of school three months. Hold on. And that's when I really actually just and, and it didn't take long. You know, it took three months to say, hold on, is this where it needs to be? And immediately made all the changes that were necessary to make sure that I was on the path to where I wanted to be. So, you know, that's uh, that, that was actually a very good lesson to learn very early on about spending time with the SO. Yeah. And, you know, realizing it's like, hold on, I'm putting time away now in order to have a better future in order to meet certain goals. Which will in turn create more time with the SO, but just later. That's the thing, even if, like, you know, you're not going to, like, insanely expensive dinners every night instead, you know, you might be doing something else while you save that money so you can go eat dinner on a yacht one day. But also, but also, I think it's very important to, like, um cheaply date but in a fun way and what i mean by that is instead of going to like you know a 40 dollar dinner you go like have a picnic on the beach it might cost you like five bucks but it's more memorable at the end of the day right I'll be, uh, it's actually pretty funny i actually went on a date to walmart earlier because that was the only time <laughs> we had together not as a, like an actual like date, but it was just the only time we were able to go around, and it was literally an errand for her boss. Oh uh, wow! Well, you know my parents met at Walmart, so I consider Walmart pretty romantic. <laughs> Goodness, yeah. Evidently, <laughs> in the South, if you want to get a spouse, go to Walmart. <laughs> yeah, Walmart is responsible for my existence. So <laughs> that's hilarious that that's true. <laughs> But no, I'm I'm definitely excited. It, it's gonna be fun to like, uh, you know, 30s when I want to have a lot of everything accomplished. So when I'm 30, like you're 30, it'd be really interesting. To like look back on this podcast episode, or even like with our five year plans, like five years from now, look back on this podcast episode and see if we did it. I yeah, think I imagine probably half of what I said will not be you know fruitful. Yeah, but I imagine half of it will, and I'm curious to see what the other half is that got me there. Because, you know, entrepreneurship, like we learned in that class with Scott Kelly, my favorite teacher at Campbell. Same. Um, well, it's close between him or Dr. Pooney, but um, it's 
you know, changing your plan to your surroundings. And that's the thing, like, uh, ever since I was 14, you know, I knew I would be a billionaire. The how has changed a lot. Like, I think when I was 14, my original plan was to, before I even knew what affiliate marketing was, I wanted to make a website where I sold other people's products for a percentage, which I find amazing that I thought, I basically invented affiliate marketing before I knew it was already a thing. But, so I had that idea. And then I wanted to start a, um, I wanted to start a tell, I wanted to start a website where people could watch movies, TV shows that I produce, and I wanted to do film for a while. And then I transitioned back into like affiliate marketing and also um, startup investing, where I currently am still at. But it's like I never once have doubted the destination, but I frequently change the path. Right, I definitely agree on that. Like I've seen, and I've seen that personally. You know, I thought yeah. I would be running for the state house. You know, now, but at the same time, I realized, you know, a guaranteed two years from now, or a kind of almost definite loss now. And you know, you start to make those calculations and say, man, a couple of years doesn't seem all that big now that I'm graduated. So let me do it right and make sure that I actually am where I want to be in the five years. That's something I've realized is like, um, and this is hard for me because I'm so impatient. Like I have goals and I want it now, but is to be patient. Like Warren Buffett, greatest investments ever existed, wanted to start his investment company when he was around like my age, like just graduated high school. And he was like convinced he was going to, but like his family and also like his mentors like begged him to work for um, Graham for a little bit. And, um, like, learn from it before starting his own company, which he reluctantly agreed to do. And it'd be very interesting to see if he would have succeeded if he had not done so. Because a lot of his strategy he learned from Graham at the job, and a lot of the money he used in early investment he's learned from that job. So by being patient, he confirmed his success. Right, and I think there's a healthy medium for that because if you wait until there's green lights all the way to your destination, you'll never go. But good point. You'll also want there's there's a balance to it. You know, I think basically it's it's like this. You don't want to be eighty and a millionaire. That's a good point. Yeah. But also, if you shoot for being twenty five and a millionaire, you may never get that either. So. 30 to 35, I think, is the sweet rain. 30, if it goes really well, 35, if you just follow the formula. Yeah. And that's the thing is you're young enough at 35 to be able to go and really enjoy life. And you're talking a long time where you can enjoy yourself and be independent. And that's the thing. It's like um, I also do want to stress, though, that I don't think it's ever too late to achieve your goal. Like Ray Kroc, you know, the founder of McDonald's, didn't start that until he was well in his 60s. Oh, absolutely. And um, Colonel Sanders founded KFC with the, his first social security check. Oh, yeah. I watched, or I didn't watch, I listened to a podcast episode on that. It was like crazy. Like, he's over there, like 80 years old, dressing up like a colonel, going to different restaurants, trying to sell his chicken recipe. <laughs> and it's like most people look at that and be like, that dude's insane. But it worked, although he also sold it way too early and didn't really make an insane amount of money. But also, he was definitely a success. Right. Well, that's the thing is um, 
you know, that man, he failed again and again and again. Like he, um, towards, you know, towards the end, like he probably was thinking, you know, there's, it's interesting to, I would like to know what was going through his head, you know, whenever he did that, because everybody around him was convinced he would not succeed. Yeah. And so it's it's just, uh, it is inspiring to imagine, you know, what was going through his head. It's like, hey, I have, like, done all, I've, I've failed again and again. Every business I've ever started has been ruined. Now I'm going to take this recipe for fried chicken and actually go and do something with it. And then that. Well, like, I was say for Ray Kroc, like, with McDonald's, like, he, um, most people look at that and say he's a failure. Like, he had... So many businesses that he started that went absolutely nowhere. Like, he was selling, um, I think it was milkshake machines for a while and not doing well. And it was like every single thing he did failed. And then he found the McDonald Brothers. <laughs> well, that didn't go well for them, but it went well for him. Yeah, the McDonald Brothers probably wish they had met Ray Kroc, <laughs> but he succeeded. <laughs> Yeah, that that is that is true. Uh, not everybody holds to our advice about only selling to people who need it. Um, yeah. Also, um, if you make a business deal with someone, put it in writing. Do you know about that? He basically, or like with the McDonald's brothers, he like when he bought the thing, they wanted five percent of the earnings, and he was like, I don't want to put that in the contract. Can we do like a handshake agreement with it? McDonald's brothers agreed, and they never saw a penny after that. So always get your business deals in writing. Yeah, no, writing is always a... Well, here's the thing. Like, verbal agreements are technically legal, legally binding, but... Uh, it's hard to prove it. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah that's a sh and that's a shame for them. But here's the thing. If we had a verbal agreement right now that I'd sell you, like, my half of the podcast for a million dollars, and then you call me out on that... All I have to do is say, I didn't say that. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, outside of any sort of, like, video recordings and stuff. But at the same time, at that point, sign a contract. It's not hard. No, like, it's not hard at a, all. Yeah, we have a contract somewhere, actually, come to think of it. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I wrote a contract out, and then neither of us had signed it. <laughs> I think we did sign it. Did we sign it? I think we signed it. I don't. I don't remember. We should probably go sign that. I think all it said. I think it said that. Um, and we split earnings fifty fifty, and any like money anyone makes through the brand is split fifty fifty or something like that. It basically, yeah, it was. Uh, it was fifty fifty unless you unless it was very very obvious unless like a reasonable person would say that it was something you only did. So like, if one of us literally said, "Oh, hey, today this is you know this is Corey," or "Today this is Caleb," and Corey couldn't make it, and then that thing did really well. Yeah. Whatever you said, it's like that specific episode might be different, but also I don't know if that was even in the final draft. Oh yeah, we had talked about that, like if some reason you couldn't make the podcast like one day and I did it by myself or vice versa, how we do earnings. But honestly, like, um, I mean, this is famous last words, but I really don't think we have to worry too much about a contract. No, I, I strongly doubt that as well. Like I said, we've known each other for quite a while now, so I don't. Although if something happens where one of us like screws the other person over... They're going to clip this sound bite. 
<laughs> That'd be so funny if like that happened. They just showed that. They're like, well, obviously I was dumb. Oh gosh. <laughs> but, uh, do you listen to the podcast My First Million? I've heard of that. I've never seen it. I said that one's like two guys that host it together, so I kinda wonder how they have like everything split up. I'd assume probably fifty fifty. Yeah, I, I assume somewhere somewhere along that. I honestly have enjoyed this uh, a lot. I actually like the new form of, uh, you know, that business podcast, which is literally kind of around, not really a roundtable because there's the two of us, but we're just literally talking business about the different things we've encountered, telling stories from our careers. Well, that's what I was thinking because, like, before we were just doing what's in the news, so we'd have to, like, search the news, find something. But I was thinking it's like the conversations we just have when we call each other, if we just record it, so it's like not extra work on either of our parts, I think that'd actually be more beneficial. Agreed. I mean, this would be, you know, I could, I could see this being useful for some people, and there is some, like, you know, little nuggets of truth in there. Um, our tips on sales from the, you know, episode we did, you know, the last episode, that was really good. You know, just kind of the talking about how to think about money in this, this chapter was pretty good. True, like, I do think this stuff benefits people. Although, I don't know if you remember this, but in one of our previous episodes, like back when we were just doing like business news, we talked about GoPro stock. And I'm pretty sure it doubled since then. Well, this is awkward because we said not to invest in GoPro. <laughs> I mean, it's still a terrible stock that felt like an insane amount. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it doubled since then, at least last time I looked at it. <laughs> oh, wow, that's uh, that's incredible. Now, something that I remember we also did on air was uh, LinkedIn's value. Oh, that was actually, I think, a very beneficial podcast episode. That was, because I didn't know the value of LinkedIn, so I learned a lot from that. And since then, we had the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. LinkedIn became extremely important. You know, I also, um, or I, um, I've been using LinkedIn a lot more too. Like all three of my blogs automatically post on LinkedIn every time I post. And I've actually got a good amount of readers from LinkedIn. So that's been really nice. Yeah, LinkedIn is a great resource for a lot of reasons. And um, yeah, I will say one podcast that we missed then um, because it wasn't news yet. Yeah. So COVID-19 is um, very interesting. Um, I'm sorry, it's not COVID-19. The, the, the fight between Skype and Zoom. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's that amazing that Zoom's the one that took off of Skype. Kind of yeah. did it. Skype has been around forever. Everybody used Skype. When I was a kid, when I was 12 years old, it was Skype, not Zoom. Well, the crazy thing is businesses still use Skype. Like, Skype is still the popular platform for business, like businesses. So it's weird that Zoom was the one that just, like, took off out of nowhere. It, it really is because, like, before Zoom, I had only ever seen a handful of uh, – I had only ever met one Zoom person, and that was a political consultant who used it. I hadn't heard of Zoom at all until that happened. I can't believe it. I just now realized it was before COVID when we stopped recording this podcast. Yeah, that's right. It was January of 2020. Yeah, that's <laughs> we're like, crazy. Man, the future is bright. And then two years later, we're like, oh, God. 
And I like how we brought the podcast back because of a like a just a random conversation where I was like, we should bring it back. That is really funny. Yeah, I was literally just like driving, and I was like, we should bring. Well, also like I feel like because you know I have two podcasts that I do just on my own, and it's actually pretty difficult to do a podcast on your own like with just you talking. Right. Well, you know, we're like we're, we're, this whole time, you know, we're bouncing ideas off each other. We're talking about different things and we're like we're reminding each other of stuff to talk about as we go. Yeah, exactly. It's double like there's double the value in it because both of us are communicating different ideas and making each other more valuable as it goes as well. Last thing, so I was thinking about that and then I was like, we should bring back that business podcast. And then I text you, now we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and honestly, it is, um, yeah, I do remember building all the marketing and branding for this whenever we started it, you know, in the two years ago, and that was, yeah. uh, was it two, yeah, because it was fall 2019. That is crazy. So, yeah, um, two years ago, we, you know, started this, um, and I thought that business podcast was, you know, a good brand name and everything, it was good design. It is. And... There's nothing I would change about it looking back. No, the only thing I would have changed is that we would have kept doing it. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's the thing is it was the, uh, you know, our branding, even though, like, obviously, like, we have, like, hello, our three listeners. Um, yeah, which, I mean, it might still be that way, but at least, I mean, this yeah. is conversations we have anyway. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's the thing is also, like, like if you actually are listening to this, uh, thank you so much, and I'm glad you. I'm glad. I'm especially glad you made it this far because it means you're actually super interested in it. I have I have kind of this image of the one person who actually got really excited <laughs> about the two guys talking like two years ago. Oh, he'd be so <laughs> happy. Like, they're back. He's like they're finally back. No, one thing I like about this new format is I felt we were just doing the news. We would talk about it for about 20 minutes, and we just completely run out of things to talk about. Because we only had that one topic to think on. Where now, since we're able to balance different topics, have no planning at all, this podcast episode is currently an hour and 20 minutes long. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, it, it's gone on for a while. <laughs> That's the thing, it's like, we never ran out of things to talk about because we have the freedom to actually switch things up and we're not completely dedicated to one format. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing is like, look, if you like to, you know, kind of hear business talk, if you like to hear different ideas, if you like to hear things and ideas for improvement, um, this is probably a good podcast to listen to. Well, I'm a little biased, but I think it's a great one, too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should go ahead and end it, though, since we are at an hour and 22 minutes. Yeah, honestly, if people like are using this to like go to work and back, they've been listening to us for like four days, so... <laughs> I think it's average though. Like most of the business podcasts I listen to are around an hour. Yeah, I think fifty nine minutes is a good podcast. You know, um, good podcasts. You know, Mark. So me too. So yeah, that's you know our plans to get to success. That's different ideas we have, and that's kind of like the future of the podcast. Like it's gonna be. We're just gonna have to make sure to keep doing this this time, and I think it's gonna be very successful. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for listening to us uh, ramble for a while, and hopefully you got some value out of here, and hopefully we can streamline this a little bit into an hour of content that you find um, interesting. Yeah, definitely. Follow me at CWT Business. 
and follow, follow Corey at, on Instagram at STS underscore NC. Both will be down in the description. Thank you for listening.